The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Have you ever found weird things in a vagina? Have you found yourself needing multiple partners to fulfill your desires? Hey guys, I'm Dr. Jacqueline Walters, a board-certified OBGYN. It is so important that we know how and when to ask the right questions, whether you're in front of your doctor or just hanging out with your good girlfriends. Now, I wanted to create Dr. Jackie's point of view because sometimes you need to just hear the unfiltered good old Dr. Jackie. I will inspire, uplift, and educate women and men on the who, what, when, and where of things we balance daily. Make sure you subscribe to Dr. Jackie's Point of View and tune in every Thursday. Hi, everyone. I'm Haley Hubbard, mom to three kids and wife to a touring artist. And I'm Jessica Diamond, a registered dietitian nutritionist with a master's in public health. And this is Meaningful Living. Every week, we're breaking down the overwhelming amount of parenting, nutrition, and lifestyle information into credible knowledge and simple tools. The Cliff Notes Guide to Feeling Confident in Your Everyday Choices. It takes a village. We're so excited to share ours with you. Today, we're talking to the award-winning journalist and newly published author, Melinda Wenner-Moyer. Melinda is the mother of two kids, a science-based parenting journalist whose writings have appeared all over. And she's the author of a new book, How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes, Science-Based Strategies for Better Parenting from Tots to Teens, which was released this July. On today's episode, we're talking clear and actionable strategies for raising generous, kind, helpful, honest, independent, and resilient kids. This is something that's on the forefront of our minds right now, heading into Thanksgiving and the holidays. So we really wanted to take a deeper dive into it. We talk about kindness, lying, swearing, screen time, self-esteem, and the important practical stuff we can do to help shape our kids into the kind and resilient people we want them to be. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with your friends and family. You're our village. We just want to spread these conversations and support with all that we can. And we are so excited to start tackling your questions on the podcast. So if you have any questions or anything for us, call our voicemail line so we can feature them and answer them on the show. Now here's Melinda. We could not put your book down. It just has the most actionable and it was fascinating and it made us laugh at times. And honestly, we just learned so much throughout it. So today we really just want to talk through some of those subject matters and just pull out kind of the simple practical stuff that we can do to raise resilient, kind, generous kids that are kind of just built to change this world and make a difference. So let's start with kindness, generosity, and helpfulness. I think in this age right now of just social media, it feels like people are just kind of set up to be cruel. Like it's so much easier to be cruel right now and unkind than it ever has been before. And I know for us, it's kind of overwhelming to raise kids in this time because we want to do the opposite, right? We want to raise just kind, generous, helpful kids, everything you talk about in your book. So we love that you started your book off with these traits. So in a nutshell, how do we teach this? Yeah. So, I mean, this is essentially the reason I wrote the book is because I, I just felt like we were surrounded by bad behavior and I knew rates of bullying and even hate crimes were going up. And so that, that was really the impetus for this book. Like, how do we go against this and how do we raise kids who are like the opposite of what I feel like we're seeing all around us? So yeah, the first one, I, I knew this was going to be chapter one was going to be, you know, compassion, generosity, kindness, like how do we foster that in kids? And so I, as a science journalist, I really, 
really just went straight to the research to say, you know, what does the research, what do psychologists who study these traits know about what shapes them? And I was really surprised that there was a ton of research and, and it, it really underlined something that I was not expecting, which is the importance of talking about feelings with kids and how, like how foundational that is for the development of generous behavior. So, I mean, yeah, you don't really think like, well, why would talking about feelings cause my kids to become more helpful and generous? It's not necessarily something you would think would be related. And so how it's thought to work is, so when you talk about feelings with your kids, when you let kids have their feelings, like when you, you know, see them being angry or sad and sort of let them sit with that and and validate and acknowledge their feelings, you're really building a lot of skills. Like you're building emotional literacy. You're helping kids understand what emotions feel like, what they look like, you know, the names of them, et cetera. And that's really important for the development of a skill I talk about a lot in my book that's called theory of mind. And theory of mind is essentially the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and to recognize that, you know, someone else can have a totally different emotional experience from you, a totally different perspective on a situation, you know, just a totally different lived experience. And that ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, that's kind of essential for being generous and for being kind and for being helpful. Because if you, let's say you see a friend who is really upset about something and you want to do something to help them, you want to be compassionate and and generous and helpful, you really have to be able to look at that friend and perceive based on their body language, their facial expressions, et cetera, you know, what they're feeling. You have to be able to say, oh, I think my friend is feeling sad, or I think my friend's feeling angry, or I think my friend's feeling left out or whatever it is. And you really have to be able to, to perceive that and then think, well, what does that feeling feel like? What does that mean? What would I want if I felt that yeah. way? And then be able to do that for that friend. So you really have to understand emotions in order to go that next step and be generous and be helpful and be compassionate. So that was really the take home of this chapter. Like, let your kids have feelings. You know, I think we often jump in and say, calm down, or this isn't a big deal, or why are you crying? Stop crying. And we do that because we, you know, we want our kids to be happy and it's totally understandable, but really the better approach is, you know, to, to mirror back what you're hearing and seeing, oh my gosh, you look so sad. You must be frustrated, et cetera. And then just like find opportunities to talk about feelings and talk about your own feelings, talk about characters in books and what they're feeling, you know, talk about feelings a lot. And that really helps kids, you know, develop that emotional literacy that then allows them to be compassionate people. Yeah. You know, I think as, as a parent, we see so much now, right? That's so much on the forefront of talking about feelings and processing it with our kids. And sometimes it's just, you're just like in this go mentality of like, oh, do I really have to do this again? Like we just talked about this feeling, but it's so nice to draw that there's something so much bigger than just understanding just the feelings themselves. That's really the key to kindness. And the other part is that as much as we want to push it away, right? Like we grew up more in a culture where we pushed away those feelings and as hard as you push them away or as far as you do, you can never push them away, right? Like we have to know how to process our feelings. So, Well, that's how we were all raised. I mean, I I hate to say all because I know everyone wasn't raised that way, but I think our parents' generation, we say this a lot, but it was just different and we didn't talk about stuff when, you know, I didn't feel like I was allowed to feel sad, even though my parents would be crushed if they heard that. It just, you know, you didn't have that permission. 
And it's amazing, always amazes me to talk about feelings with Olivia. And when I do open up that, that can of worms, and she's so honest. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like I'm talking to an adult and I'm talking to a three-year-old and she's talking about her day. And we have this little journal where she gets to circle how she's feeling today. And it's like a, it goes from sad to happy emotions. And she'll usually circle a couple of them. And in my, like my natural instinct always wants me to like make her circle the happy face to be like, no, 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 you're happy. (laughs) And then I'm like, wait, like I'm just trying to make her happy. And that's how I'm trying to be all the time. Like, but it's okay that we have a sad face during our day. And it's okay that we have a neutral face, but kids are so smart and we, we just don't give them the credit. So I'm obsessed with this book and this chapter. (laughs) Awesome. I'm glad that it resonated. Yeah. Good. You all know we all love new things coming to the country music world, and there's a new original podcast you all need to check out. Country Heat Weekly, hosted by Kelly Sutton and Amber Anderson, brings the beloved playlist to life. Every Thursday, Kelly and Amber deliver the vibrant world of country music right from Music Row in the heart of Nashville. They'll entertain you with today's top tracks, talk to music legends and upcoming stars, reflecting the energy, stylistic range, and diversity of today's country. And they'll be spilling that sweet tea about what's happening on the Nashville scene. Lucky for me, Nashville is such a fun town to live in with so much always going on. It can be hard to keep up, but this podcast is definitely a way to get the scoop on all that's happening. So turn up the volume and get the hottest country on Amazon Music's Country Heat Weekly today. Kelly also hosts the Amazon Music's Country Heat Radio in DJ mode, and Kelly and Amber are now breaking down the most popular songs, bringing you the latest news in country radio, and connecting with some extremely talented country music stars. It's like a backstage pass to all things country music, and we're so excited for it and know you'll all love this one. They just released an episode about the behind the scenes of the CMAs, which Tyler and I were able to go to as our date night last week and had so much fun. We caught up with friends. We got to watch some amazing performances. So definitely take a listen to hear all about what it was like. So find and follow Country Heat Weekly on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Country Heat Weekly on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. As much as we love enjoying the holidays through our little one's eyes, we always love a good gift for us too, especially when it's just something for at home R&R, just relaxing. And Printfresh makes the most comfortable luxury sleepwear from PJs to robes and slippers. They have it all. We posted a pic of their pajamas the other day on Instagram. And so many of you reached out saying, I need those PJs. So because they're a sponsor of the podcast, as a listener, we got a special discount for you. With the holidays around the corner, we're just loading up on PJs and sleepwear, matching sets for our family, one to give as gifts and of course the perfect set for ourselves. So Printfresh has you covered for all your sleepwear needs. I just got their robe and matching PJ set and I'm obsessed. You may have heard me talk about it already. The fabric is incredible, soft, it's fuzzy flannel, it's light yet cozy. I'm just one of those people that just can't do really heavy robes or PJs and these are just perfect and the prints are just so cute. They're colorful and fun and they just bring a smile to your face. 
They're a female-owned and operated brand, which we love, that always has inclusivity and sustainability in mind with sizes ranging from extra small petite to 6X, and they have sets for men and women. They've got the cutest brand new holiday patterns, limited edition holiday bundles, and free and fast shipping. They also have gift cards for last minute shopping. If you're like me, I always need a gift card for the holidays. So they've got you covered no matter what. And they're offering an amazing deal for our listeners. Head to printfresh.com and use code living for 15% off your first order. That's printfresh.com code living for 15% off your order. Go get your holiday shopping done now or purchase yourself a little something for some self-care. You will love all of their stuff. I love something else that you talk about. I think it's in this chapter, but about model behavior. And I feel like it's such a good way for me to check in with myself like, oh, okay, am I doing these things that I want my child to do that I'm telling her to do? But anyways. Yeah, it's hard though, right? I mean, it's hard to open up to your kids sometimes and be vulnerable and like talk about your day because we don't necessarily, I mean, we don't want to burden our kids, right? We don't want to, and we don't want to make them feel like, you know, they have to fix our problems. But I do think that sometimes we're, we're just too hesitant to open up and to share, you know, our feelings and our experiences and our struggles. And sometimes it can be really constructive to do that and to show that like everybody can have a hard day and that's normal. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like anything's wrong with your kid for having a hard day. It's just something that happens to everybody and sort of normalizing those experiences, I think can be really helpful for kids. Mm-hmm. You make a good point because I'll never forget the time that Olivia, she was probably like two. No, she was probably just three at that time, but she was really upset and her feelings were hurt about something. And we had already said like, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And then I said, you know, I had my feelings hurt the other day too. And she looked at me like she paused crying. She looked at me like, what? Like you had your feelings hurt. And I think as kids, we always look to adults like they had everything together. And it's so nice for them to see like, they don't have everything together and they get their feelings hurt too. And like you said, it normalized it for her. And it was like, like, I have to do this more often. The big feelings, we can handle them. And like, we have them too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Right, right. It's okay to, for anybody child or grown up to feel upset or sad or anything like this is part of life. This is not, you know, something that we're trying to like eliminate from our lives. It's just a part of it. It's just, you know, and we get better at dealing with it. Some people do, not everybody, but, um, but yeah, I think it's really powerful. Something that is hard to balance sometimes, especially with raising boys. And of course, this is like a gender stereotype, which I know I shouldn't do, but it does come up. But if I lean so much towards kindness, am I creating a non-tough kid or one that can't stand up for themselves in the best way? Like, are they being too nice? Where's that balance? Yeah, that's such a great question. I do feel like there's this idea in our culture that, you know, in order to be successful, in order to like make it in the world, you have to kind of be an asshole, you know? And I think we've certainly seen people who have become very successful who kind of act like assholes. So there's this idea that, yeah, you're, you're sacrificing something if you're teaching kindness or, you know, you're putting your kids at some kind of risk that they're going to lose out in other ways if they're kind. And well, first of all, the research really does not back up this idea because when you look at the kinds of people who typically become the most successful, they're very often 
people who are also among the most generous. Adam Grant wrote a whole book on this. And, and uh, there was one study I remember I cited in my book that I thought was so, so powerful, which so researchers followed kindergarten boys in particular. I don't know why it was boys, but I think it, it's really interesting that it was followed them for 20 years. And so they watched them in their kindergarten mm-hmm. classrooms and saw how they engaged with their friends and their teachers. And they found that the boys who were the kindest and most helpful in their classrooms ended up being the most successful when they were 25. Like they made more money. They were less likely to be in prison. There were all of these outcomes that were positive, that were, that, you know, were associated with these kind behaviors in kindergarten. And so I think, you know, we don't have to worry that we're sacrificing something. I also think that like you can be kind and compassionate and generous, but still stand up for yourself. You know, you don't have to be a pushover. You don't have to let people walk all over you. There's a difference between like kindness and, and niceness in a way, like kindness is sort of putting yourself in this bigger like as part of a bigger whole and and doing the things that, that are, you know, good for others and good for your community, good for your family. But that doesn't mean avoiding conflict necessarily. You can still, you know, stand up for yourself and fight back against things that, that aren't okay and be kind. And so I think you can be both, you know, tough and assertive and, you know, stand up for yourself and also be a kind and compassionate person. It's almost like being kind to others and then being kind to yourself. Like with yeah. through kindness, you yeah. can learn how to do kind boundaries and through kindness, you can learn how to empathize with someone else. So that research, I could literally listen to that story on repeat because it is so <laughs> fascinating because mm-hmm. I do think that's such a stereotype and something that our culture really does believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's jump to perseverance, resilience and motivation because... I I said this in the podcast that came out this week, but I think that if there's one thing that I could ever teach Bryce, my son, it's just that he's got this no matter what comes his way. It's just, that is something that's so important to me. But after reading your book, I actually realized not only how important they are, but really how essential they are. Like there's this fascinating link between resilience and long-term success. And so why is it so important and how should we be praising our kids to help build this? Yeah, this was another really interesting area of the research where I felt like I was surprised by some of it, you know, and it kind of contradicted some of my own instincts about how to parent. And so that's um, the best when that happens. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) We also like, it's like, there's so much to learn Mm -hmm. always about Mm -hmm. parenting. So yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the things I thought was so interesting is, you know, I think as parents, we often, we have this really powerful instinct to protect our kids because of course we do. Like that's one of our most important jobs to keep our kids safe. But those instincts can go a little too far. And sometimes we rush in to kind of rescue our kids when they're struggling with things or, you know, when they're just encountering a challenge. And when we do that, we're doing a lot of things. We're unfortunately communicating to our kids like, oh, I don't think you can handle this. You know, if we jump in and help them with their homework or help them when they're having trouble, like closing up their water bottle, instead of giving them the opportunity to sit with that discomfort and that challenge and work on it and get through it, we're basically saying, I don't think you can do this. I don't have faith in you. And we know from research that kids actually interpret it that way too. When kids are asked, you know, how do you feel when your parents help you with your homework? Kids will often say, well, I feel like my mom thinks I'm incompetent and that's why she feels like she has to do this. So we're, unfortunately, when we, when we jump in to rescue kids, when they're struggling, we're, we're sending them this message that we don't think that they can do something. And that's really not good for their self-esteem and their sense of self-efficacy. And we're also kind of communicating that challenges are bad and that the possibility of failure is bad, that it's something to be avoided. And that's kind of the opposite of what we want to be sending if we want our kids to be resilient. You know, we want our kids to think like, 
challenge is normal. It's something that helps you learn and grow. You know, it's like, it's a, it's part of the path to success. Like we have to experience challenges to get better at things. And so we don't want to be communicating that this is something that, you know, that we should not let our kids experience. That's one big part of this, but what I thought was interesting too, is that, you know, how, yeah, how you talk to and praise your kids is really fundamental to whether they will embrace challenges or whether they will avoid them. And so this is the research from Carol Dweck, who is a psychologist at Stanford, and it's on mindset, growth mindset and fixed mindset, which I think most people have probably heard of, but there's a lot of kind of misunderstandings about what it means and, and also about like just how important it is because it really is powerful. So often as parents, we praise kids in a fixed mindset way. And that means like saying things like you're so smart or you're so good at math or you're a natural at soccer or ballet or whatever. And when we use terms like this and we describe kids this way, it kind of implies that, you know, you're either smart or you're not, you're either good at something or you're not, it's somewhat innate, you know, and, and it's like, it's very black and white and it's, it's fixed. Like there's this idea we communicate that the you, you know, you're either this or you're not, and there's nothing you can really do about it. It's just and black we, and white. Exactly. Yeah. And when we do this, so let's say we praise our kids for doing well in a math test and say, oh, you're so smart or you're so good at math. Then the next time, let's say they take a math quiz and they get a bad grade, they start to doubt the ability that you told them they had. And they start to think, gosh, well, if I got a C on this quiz, then maybe I'm actually bad at math. And if I'm bad at math and it's either a, you know, it's a black and white thing, you either have it or you don't, then there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just bad at math. And so when parents praise kids with fixed mindset language, what it does is it, it actually encourages kids to protect their reputation, to avoid challenges and failure, because to them, experiencing challenge and experiencing failure is just evidence that they're not good at it and that, you know, they're incompetent. They can't do anything about it. So these kids tend to avoid challenges. If, on the other hand, you use growth mindset language, which is like praising for effort and always tying effort to outcome. So when they get a good grade on a math test, say you would say, oh, you know, that must be because you studied so hard or you worked so hard on the test or whatever. Um, and you're always kind of bringing up that effort that they put into it and how that how that helps to explain the good outcome that they had. And when you praise this way, then you are you're essentially, you know, normalizing challenge. You're kind of teaching that experiencing a challenge, doing something hard, having to put effort in is what makes you smarter or better at it. And, and that it's not a fixed thing. It's something that changes. And the research of Carol Dweck really shows the power of this. She did a study that I, I'll just try to briefly describe, but I thought it was just so powerful. She got a bunch of kids into her lab and she gave them IQ tests and she split them up into two groups. And for one group, she praised the kids using fixed mindset language. She said, like, you did really well on this test. It must be because you're smart. And the other half, she said, you did really well on this test. It must be because you worked hard at the problems. And then in the next part of the experiment, she gave all the kids an option. She said, okay, we're going to do some more problems, but you can choose whether you want to do the hard problems, which you might not do very well on, but you'll probably learn something from, or you can do the easy problems where you probably will do well, but you might not learn much. And she found that the kids that were praised for fixed mindset, who, you know, she said, you're really smart. They really commonly chose the easy problems and the kids who were praised for working hard chose the harder problems. And then in the final part of the study, she, she decided, okay, well, let's see what happens if we just give all the kids hard problems. Like what are they going to do in the face of challenge? Yeah. And she found that the kids praised for fixed mindset were much more likely to give up. They persevered for much less time. Like, and 
they were much more likely to lie to their friends about how well they'd done on the, on the hard problems. Whereas the growth mindset kids, they spent more time on the problems, you know, they persevered and they were much more honest. And so you really see that fixed mindset causes kids to avoid challenge and to want to protect their reputation. You know, even if it means lying to your friends, whereas the growth mindset kids are like, bring on the challenge. This is how I learn. This is great. I want challenge and, you know, it's okay if I fail. And so you're really kind of normalizing challenges and failures and showing that those lead to learning and growing. And so praise really can make a difference depending on, on how you do it. And it's never too late to switch over. Like if you've been using fixed mindset language, which I did for a very long time before I read this research, you can switch over. And I mean, I've noticed changes with my kids in the way that they think about challenges just using this growth mindset language. It's fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> Haley, it, it, is, reminds right? me, it, it reminds me so much of how we talk about that. It's so hard to like stay away from like good boy or good girl, or you did a good job or right. like all the things that just naturally we've been told or come to us, but really that this power, it's not only to help with their self-esteem, but it's really what builds that grit. Haley, I haven't told you this yet, but yesterday Bryce looked at me and I think he could just feel the, the energy of yesterday. It was a big day. We had a big, you know, podcast that came out and he looked at me and he said, mama, you're tough like Tyler. And I said, I said, what do you mean, Bryce? And he said, you know, he wrote that song with BB Rexa tough. He's like, you're tough. And I said, that's so nice. But why? And he goes, cause you keep trying and trying and you, one day you'll get it. You haven't gotten it yet. And it made me, I know in your book, you talked about like the power of yet and just Mm -hmm. using that word yet. I know Haley, is that not like I'm crying? I know. (laughs) That is amazing. <laughs> but it, it's like you step back wow. and sometimes you're like, wow, we're using this language around them. And sometimes it doesn't feel like it sticks. And then there'll be this moment where you're like, okay, you've got some powerful, like these are some powerful messages. But oh, I, I love that. You know, right? Kids remember everything. They do. Uh, <laughs> this morning on the way to school, I kind of had a moment where I, I said something I shouldn't have. I was like, I'll let you know. And then I was like, I'm so sorry. I I was taking out my frustrations on you. It was like this immediate repair. And she looked at me and she said, thank you, mom. I understand. And then she goes, I'm not going to say it's okay because I don't want you to think that it's okay. (laughs) (gasps) Wow. And I've told her that before with her brothers. Like, okay, I, I don't want her to say when they apologize to her for hitting, like she can say, thank you but she doesn't have to say it's okay because so many times when people apologize, we just say it's okay. But I'm like, no, it's not really okay. But yeah. thank you so much for the apology. And she, that's her new thing. Well, I'm not going to say it's okay. But like she remembered that. I said it once. They totally wow. pick up on the language. It's amazing. But yeah. that power wow. of yet, like you haven't yeah. gotten it yet. Mm-hmm. All it's of a wonderful word. It's, it's yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. If you're a listener of Meaningful Living, then you know that Jess and I are such advocates of therapy. We've shared our own experiences of therapy and counseling and how they've changed our perspectives on so many difficult things in life and given us tools to make us happier and healthier. Sometimes we just need that outside point of view and professional support to help us in our relationships and get through. So that's why we're talking about Talkspace. 
right now, I think a lot of us are struggling, whether it's balancing life with school and work or home life and parenting or gearing up for the holidays with family and maybe some travel. It feels like there's a lot of stress and anxiety at this time of year, especially now, and Talkspace is here to help. Talkspace is a private, safe, convenient, and much more affordable way to access therapy. They connect you with a licensed therapist and make it so easy to match with a licensed therapist and schedule live video sessions, all from the comfort of your own device. And you can start messaging your therapist the same day you sign up. It's pretty incredible. Talkspace is ready to help you start feeling better with a single message. They offer it all, individual and couples therapy, medication prescription services, and therapists who specialize in everything from anxiety, depression, to life changes and relationships. And they work around your schedule with live video sessions and unlimited messages with your dedicated therapist. It's pretty incredible and such a good thing to check out as we're heading into the holidays and new year. If you need a little support to help you through the end of the year, or you want to start building towards a better upcoming year, Talkspace is here to help. Match with a licensed therapist when you go to Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month with the promo code LIVING. That's $100 off when you use the code LIVING at Talkspace.com. You know, Haley and I are all about getting organized. So we just feel our best selves and just less frantic and so much more productive. The monthly subscriptions I have purchased and currently have are just out of control. And most of them I could have sworn I canceled, but realized once I started using Truebill that I hadn't canceled them. So if you're like me and suffering from way too many subscription syndrome, there's a way out. Let Truebill do the work and set you free. Truebill is this new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or just you simply forgot about. Average users save listen to this, $720 a year using Truebill, which is just unbelievable. Because companies actually make subscriptions so hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple to find all your subscriptions and cancel them. All you do is link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And Truebill Concierge is there when you just need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions, you don't have to. It's a dream come true. In a matter of minutes, I saved over $500 for the year since starting to use Truebill, which makes me realize I don't know why I didn't know about them sooner and how much money I've wasted without knowing about them. But it's easy to say that I love Truebill and I know you will too. Truebill has over 2 million users and has helped save them over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scans. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash living. Go right now, truebill.com slash living. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash living. So lying and swearing, all kids do it. I love that you said that in the book. That was really encouraging to hear from your work because when our kids lie, it's like, I I don't know what to do. I'm like, how do I explain lying and being honest? And I almost fast forward to this place where they're all of a sudden this older kid or adult who's lying to us. So what are some practical take-home points that we can take about lying? Yeah. So it is totally normal for kids to lie. And I mean, it's really a reflection of their brain development because I I brought up a theory of mind a few minutes ago, in order to lie, you really have to have good theory of mind skills. Cause if you think about it, like you have to be able, you know, you know that the other person doesn't know what you know, and you kind of have to be able to follow along with like what the other person 
thinks and not like, you know, give away something that's going to show that you're lying. So kids who lie, you know, it's just, it's a reflection of the fact that like their brains are growing well, they're developing well, they're learning all the skills they're supposed to be learning. And of course they're going to test out lying. I mean, it's for one thing, it's something that we do all the time and we may not recognize that we lie because our culture There are some lies that we know are not okay, like lies for personal gain. Um, Of course, some of us still do it, but there's so many kinds of lies that are actually really acceptable in our culture, like white lies, for instance, and, you know, lies like little lies, like when, um, when we say we're like too busy to do something, or, you know, if like a telemarketer calls and we say we're in the middle of dinner, you know, can't talk, but really like we're not in the middle of dinner. There are all these times that we will do these little lies and our kids will notice that and they pick up on it. And so it can be really useful to try to just talk to kids about when it's really important to be honest and what kinds of lies are okay and what kinds of lies aren't okay, because otherwise they're going to see you lie. And we know from research that when kids see adults lying, they're much more likely to lie in the future. And they've done these like really cool experiments where they like have two adults lie in front of a kid and then they set this kid up to to lie about peeking at a toy and then they they find that like the kids are much more likely to lie about peeking if they saw adults lie a few minutes earlier so we should first of all be aware of the you know of of our maybe dishonest uh propensities and and like the times that we might not be super honest and I remember once when, like right before the pandemic, I remember we were going to go take the kids to uh, like an indoor play park and our daughter woke up that morning with a fever. And so my um, husband said to my son, like, well, you know what, maybe like the two of us can just go and we'll just tell mom and Jojo that we're running errands. And, and like my husband didn't really think about it, but he was absolutely saying like, let's lie about this to my son. And my son was like, dad, that's lying. That's not okay. But like, that's another example of, you know, that's something where you would think like, oh, well, it's a white lie. We're lying. So to protect, you know, feelings, right? Yeah. My sister's feelings, but kids can't always tell the difference to them. It's just a lie. So one thing we can do is, yeah, be careful about how frequently we lie in front of our kids. And also when we do lie, you know, to explain, okay, this is, this is a called a white lie, and, and these kinds of lies are more acceptable and here's why, but you know, these other kinds of lies aren't okay. So talk to kids. That's like one of the big themes of the book is like, talk to kids about your expectations, about the sort of complexities of an issue to help them understand, you know, what's okay, what's expected and, and what's not Okay. It's actually such a good reminder going into the holidays. All I can think about right now is all the white lies we're about to tell, right? Like (laughs) you open a gift in front of grandma and grandpa and your kid doesn't want that. And, you know, whatever it may be, or we open up a gift and they hear us talking about how we didn't want it. We're going to return it later. But to the person, we just said, oh, we love it so much. And so like, there's, that's, that is confusing. That's, I like that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because you know, one of the things I talk about a lot in the book is how powerful and helpful it can be to talk about how a person's choices and behaviors affect other people. And that's a really good example of, you know, the reason that we aren't completely honest when we open grandma's gift and we don't like it is because if you say, I don't like this, that's going to hurt her feelings. And so there's a lot of ways in which really trying to link 
what your child is doing to how it affects other people can really be helpful. It helps to build theory of mind. It helps prevent bullying, we know, like, which is a whole nother topic. But one of the reasons kids bully is because they don't actually understand the effect of what they're doing. Like they don't really get that it's so hurtful. And so really spelling that out can be really useful. So yeah, and, and same with lying. And this is the reason we sometimes tell white lies to protect other people's feelings. Love that. Okay, so now the big topic, which is, I think, a good one to end on, but screen time. I think we're all feeling that screen time has just gotten out of control and it's it's anxiety provoking. But honestly, we all know that like screens from morning to night aren't good. That's not what to discuss here. We, We know that. But what I loved in your book is just how reassuring and practical your perspective was on screen time. So Can you just share those reassuring things on screen time for all of our (laughs) listeners? Because I think we all just need a little dose of that. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Yeah, there's so much alarmist info out there. You know, the headlines that say like, kids who use screens more than three hours a day are, you know, more likely to be psychotic or develop ADHD or whatever it is. And the implication is that just screens are like, there's nothing good about them. They're, the more that your kid does it, the like the worst outcomes they're going to have. And when you actually dig into the research on how does screen time affect kids, it's really not that clear cut at all. So what I wanted to do with this chapter was really look at, you know, what is like, what are some big strategies, some broad strategies that we know are helpful for helping kids manage screens and for setting limits or, you know, for just helping kids have better outcomes with screens. And one of the big ones is that, it's really helpful to be like a mentor with kids with screens. So research has looked at, you know, what happens when parents are just trying to limit screen use and really, you know, setting strict limits and telling kids they can't do certain things on screens. Like what happens to those kids as they use, you know, as they grow older and they find that those kids, you know, they still end up using screens, whether it's, you know, at a friend's house or at school, they still end up using screens, but they haven't been, given really any opportunity to learn how to do it, to learn about privacy and to learn about how to treat people respectfully on online. And so those kids actually end up getting into more trouble down the line because they just, they haven't been given the tools. They haven't had the conversations with their parents. Screens have just been this like verboten topic, but then they end up nevertheless having to deal with screens and just not knowing how to do it well. And so they end up like accessing more porn and and engaging in cyberbullying and all these things. But the so, so that's not necessarily the best strategy. And what they found is that the kids who do much better are the kids whose parents have really engaged with them on screens. So, you know, maybe they both learn about an app together. You know, you, your kid comes to you saying, oh, I really want to start doing Minecraft. And you say, okay, well, let's, let's do it. Let's learn about it together. Like let's, let's start playing it and see what happens. And while you're engaging with your kid, you're having conversations where you're sharing your values and your expectations, you know, and, and you're really like showing them what you expect of them when they're online. And so it just opens up, opens up the, you know, the, the opportunity for, yeah, yeah, exactly. The dialogue, that's the word I was looking for. And those kids, the kids whose parents really are more mentors around screens and who use screens with them and, you know, sometimes play video games with them, et cetera. Those kids do much better online. They get into way less trouble because yeah, like they understand they've been working with their parents on this. So, but it's hard because, you know, we, we don't have an infinite amount of time. And so sometimes you hear this and it's like, oh, that's one more thing I have to do, but you know, you don't have to be doing it all the time, but when you feel like there's an opportunity, like, oh, I'm kind of curious about this game too. You know, let's do a little bit of playing around together on it, or let's 
find time on Saturday morning to play this video game together. And sometimes too, like that kind of shared experience on screens and, and technology and games can be, can bring you closer together. You know, it can be like quality time as a family. This is yeah. all very reassuring. Last night, <laughs> it was like our kids eat at six o'clock and it was 5.30 and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to order Postmates. And I was going to go on Postmates and there was, there were no drivers around, of course, last night. So I was like, okay, what do we have? And we had like pasta and broccoli and, and kale salad. And I was like, perfect. That's what we'll have. But I needed to like throw it together very quickly. So I turned on the Grinch. One of my children helped me. Luca helped me cook dinner kind of, but I turned on the Grinch for the other two. And I remember like saying out loud, like, thank God for movies right now, because I was just by myself for that 30 minutes. And I was like, I don't know what I would do right now. I, we have like a little kind of, I want to say cage, but it's more of like a playpen <laughs> for our one-year-old <laughs> so that he's I contained if I like can't, it, you know. Safe cage. Safe cage, but the kids call it the cage. But I'm just like, oh, it really is our savior sometimes in those moments when we can't, when our hands are tied, literally. Yeah. I mean, we need breaks too, you know, and screens can help us get those breaks. And sometimes those breaks make us better parents. You know, we have to have a little time for ourselves sometimes and screens can give that to us and make us better parents for the next three hours <laughs> and help us cook a mediocre dinner <laughs> and help you cook dinner, which you have to, yeah, gotta have dinner. Uh, well, I know that you have to go soon because your kids are almost home from school and <laughs> Jess, our kids are going to wake up soon. But if we could walk away today and focus on doing one thing with our kids, what would that be? And what's the best advice for our listeners? So I think I've already touched on this a little, but I would say the thing that kept coming up over and over again, when I looked at all different kinds of topics was it's extremely helpful to have conversations with kids about things that maybe you think they don't need to know about, or, you know, they should already know, or you just things that you feel like, I don't need to have this conversation. I don't want to have this conversation. Those are the conversations you should have. And if we don't have those conversations, they're going to get their information from friends, from movies from TikTok, you know, from the places that are not places that we want, want them to be getting their information from. So lean in to those like really gnarly conversations. Oh, I love that advice. We love your book. We love talking to you. Thank you so much, Melinda. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you found something meaningful from this episode. Please follow the show, rate, and don't hesitate to write a little review. We also have a voicemail box you can call to ask us any questions, tell us the topics you'd like covered, or just share where you're struggling and how you could use some extra support. Call 833-444-FULL or 833-444-3855. We want to hear from you. And tune in every Monday for a new episode of Meaningful Living. And if you're looking for more ways to live a meaningful life, follow us on Instagram at Meaningful Living and visit our website, MeaningfulLiving.com. And don't forget with two L's. Can't wait to see you next week.